0: This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You
1: work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie
0: V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez.
1: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, And you can get me at Rich Valdez on all social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador. And we are right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And I want to say that welfare, the welfare system, the welfare state is systemically racist. You know, I find it fascinating that Black Americans, after they became free, after the Emancipation Proclamation, and for another hundred years, they did better economically, financially than they do today, and it's because of welfare. And this is not just me in my opinion. this is, you know, Dr. Thomas Sowell has really dug in deep on this stuff, and he he's proved that prior to FDR's New deal and and welfare becoming a thing where you didn't have to have a father in the home, in fact, it encouraged fatherless homes, they did well and had nothing to do with the color of their skin. So we now know that removing fathers from the home is really the big problem, and that is prevailing with welfare. So therefore, welfare is systemically racist. Now, you know, what's interesting is that we continue this systemic racist program known as welfare that encourages families to not have a father in a home, women who don't get married, and single moms to continue having more and more kids because they're rewarded with higher levels of income from the state if They have more and more children. Yet we think, hmm, we've got a problem here. We've got inner city gang violence. We've got this and we've got that. When we've destroyed the institution of the family. Now, I would love to talk about that forever and a day, but something tells me that you guys already know that stuff. And B, you won't won't be able to shut me up because uh, this is something I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to pivot a little bit to talk about how racism is being perpetuated today. The idea that we're going to stop systemic racism against black people by creating systemic racism against white people is asinine to me, but that's exactly what it is. Whether it's Coca-Cola saying, you know, we're going to what we saw a month or two ago, you have to limit your whiteness, and and their um, CEO chairman coming out in favor of uh, of the Democrats' wokeism, or whichever corporation is doing it, we're seeing more and more of these woke school boards accept this attack on whiteness. Now, I'm not necessarily defending whiteness. I'm just defending anybody's ethnicity and right to be whatever the color they want to be. All right. If you identify as brown, as I happen to, I, I identify as brown, folks. If, if that is my truth, then, then let me be, right? I don't think that we should sit here and tell people that they have to be less white because so-and-so is black. To me, that is racist. And we can't use racism to fight racism. Contrary to the idea that you can use fire to fight fire. It just doesn't work that way. And I don't want to hear the analogy. There's always a wise guy in the group that says, well, you know, in a forest fire, you do use fire to fight fire. Dude, hang up right now. Hit pause. Find a different podcast. I I, I can't stand those wise guys. You know exactly what I'm saying. We don't use racism to fight racism. We don't use um, fire to fight fire. I think I made that as clear as I could make it. But yet, this is what critical race theory is all about. Critical race theory is the idea that we have to eliminate whiteness so that the oppressed party, here being the the African-American, the black American, can somehow gain power that they've lost. Now, I heard some audio yesterday and I said, man, this is remarkable because this woman, she's a mom, she attends a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia, and she really gives them a piece of her mind. So I want you to hear it as I heard it, because this was terrific. Check this out.
2: In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now I have a dream that we will implement love, not hate, or supporting another Jim Crow's agenda. CRT is not an honest dialogue It is a tactic that was used by Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan on slavery very many years ago to dumb down my ancestors so we could not think for ourselves. CRT is racist. It is abusive. It discriminates against one's color. Let me educate you. An honest dialogue does not impress, oppress. An honest dialogue does not implement hatred or injustice. It's to communicate with deceiving, without deceiving people. Today, we don't need your agreement. We want action in the backbone for what we asked for today, to ban CRT. We don't want your political advertisement to divide our children or belittle them. Think twice before you indoctrinate such racist theories. You cannot tell me what is or is not racist. Look at me. I had to come down here today to tell you to your face that we are coming together and we are strong. This will not be the last. Greet and meet. Respectfully.
1: Okay. Well, listen. Or in Spanish, we would say un aplauso. One clap. Kudos to this mom. She nailed it. I think she nailed it uh, several times over. One of the things that she mentioned, uh, uh, you know, was Martin Luther King. And, of course, he's under attack, right? The critical race theory, people can't stand him because they felt he was a sellout. They didn't like the idea of commingling races that one day will be judged by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. They felt that that was a flaw, uh, a really fatal flaw that, that King made because he needed to focus on black power. He needed to focus on black supremacy, because again, they're using this uh, political idea of the Overton window. And we talked about that before. So they feel, you know, you've got to just throw the uh, the the goalpost uh, just a little bit further away so that, you know, you can maybe land a little closer. And this is where I think you just can't do this in a situation like race. You can't say, well, you know, you've been racist against blacks for so long, so we're going to be racist against whites. and once you guys become slaves and you are begging for reparations, then maybe, maybe just maybe then we'll have true equality. That is an egalitarian nightmare, not a utopian dream. There are people that live in poverty. There are people that live in wealth. There are people that live in uh, middle income earning status where you know they work and they save money and they may have some generational wealth, some legacy from before, and it, irrespective of whatever color they are, they're in different situations to kind of even suggest that people should start off at the same place, like you should be broke together. And you know, as long as you're broke and you're broke, then we're okay. And that nobody can do better, defeats the idea of a free market. The market's no longer free. You have to be able to figure out and work through your own brokenness and to whatever level you can. A guy like Trump gets some money from his dad, builds it up a little more, builds himself a real estate empire guy like Michael Dell decides, you know what, I got a garage, I'm building computers in Texas, I'm going to do my thing. Everybody has a different angle. And it's not incumbent uh, upon the government of all people, of all things, to decide who and how we're going to do that. Now, this critical race theory stuff is really uh, being uh, brought to light because the great one, Mark Levin, has really put a big... uh, Focus on this in his new book, and he's really covering it and hammering it a lot. And one of the things he brought up recently was Latcrit, crit, or you know, uh, Latin critical theory. And it's um, contrary to what people think. This is creation of white liberals, right? That that is being pushed by some Chicano studies professors, but it's not necessarily a Hispanic idea. And uh, as of late, I guess some talk show somewhere somebody made the the, the uh, suggestion that. If um, all these Spanish people want to complain that the United States isn't really, you know, the uh, the country of the white man, but it really belongs to the indigenous people, then they themselves are being hypocritical because the Spanish colonized most of Latin America. But that's indeed not even the premise, right? People like AOC, she's an anti-colonialist. Through and through. She doesn't care if if the colonialists were European Spaniards or or European Englishmen. It has nothing to do with with Spanish. It has to do with them being against colonialism. Now, again, I'm not siding with her on this. I'm just saying I think you gotta understand the argument so that you don't misstate the facts. This has nothing to do with speaking Spanish. So people that are involved in this lat crit or critical race theory or whatever the whole idea is is phony baloney but to suggest that it's specifically because they speak spanish or have hispanic heritage is really just a flawed argument that makes no sense it's the spaniards were still uh colonialists as pretty much everybody was that colonized somewhere somehow and built something some way and that's the point i'm making so the argument really becomes do you uh, think cities and nations just appear out of thin air or do people fight and to the victor go the spoils obviously it's it's the latter that's how things are built that's how we got here so for people to say well you can't do that and you can't do this um i don't know how else you do it i mean you you look at there's conflict no matter what and we'll do this quickly because this is one of those topics it's just not my wheelhouse and mainly because it's i've been through this with personal friends of mine and I just think you know th- there's no end to this conversation over Palestine and Israel This is a very difficult thing because there's death all over everybody's in in bad shape now this most recent incident hands down this is a, a clear case of rockets are fired in the last three incidents it's the same story rockets are fired by Hamas they're terrorists. And they hide these command center bunkers in places like hospitals, in places like schools. And then they shoot. How do you shoot back when they're using women and children as human shields? They've surrounded themselves with schools and hospitals. It's a nefariously clever thing. So I want to talk a little bit about that and Rashida Tlaib's stuff, but I want you to keep it locked right there and make sure that you have subscribed to this podcast, have a couple of your friends subscribe as well. The numbers continue to grow and we're so thankful. And of course, check us out if you want to contact me, leave me a message, uh, tell me off, whatever. At Rich Valdez is my Twitter handle and my everything handle if you want to get me on Parler. Parler's back up, y'all. Woohoo! And RichValdez.com. Rich Valdez with an S. Hit the contact us. The email comes right our way and we'll definitely take a look at that. Anyway, keep it locked right there because up next, we're going to hear what Rashida Talib had to say. Plus, I want to get into what the um, big deal is with... Uh, well, I'll tell you when we get back. Keep it locked right there. Rich Valdez.
2: This is America.
0: Para Inglés o Primal Número dos, Para Rich Valdez. Y esto es America, ahora.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Rich Valdez with an S. And um, what I want to talk about now is, you know, real quickly, Biden is doing such a poor job. Really, he really is. Uh, You've got an economy that's in in shambles. He promised a million new jobs. We ended up getting 266,000 new jobs, right? That's one thing. Then we have unemployment where people are literally making $1,050 a week to not work. So many of them were like, well, I only made seven or eight hundred bucks a week in my job, so I'm I'm not gonna go until I've exhausted all of my unemployment because it makes puts more money in my pocket. This presents, you know, a, a challenge for employers. And the other thing that this does is that the government is now artificially inflating wages. Right? So jobs are at the market actually pays, let's say, I don't know, $40,000, $45,000, whatever, whatever it is, and the government is paying 50000 $51,000, let us just say. This is a problem because employers, in order to get these people back, may feel forced to raise their wage. However, can they even afford to do that? And that's the big question. And I had this conversation with my kid once when she was saying, oh, I think a $15 minimum wage would be a good thing. And I went through it with her and I said, all right, well, whatever, you're making 12 something an hour at the restaurant that you work in. So let's look at that. What happens if the government turns to your boss and says, now you have to pay your employees 15 bucks an hour. So you need to come up with an extra, you know, two or $3 an hour. Now for one employee that may work, but if they have multiple employees, this now becomes a drag of a hundred or 200 or $300 more per day where does the employer get that? And I asked her, where, where's your boss gonna, how are they gonna come up with an extra 300 bucks to pay people? And she said, well, I, she said, they're either going to charge the customers more. And she said, and the customers are already complaining on Yelp and stuff like that, that prices are really high. And she said, or they're gonna cut hours. And I said, ah, they're gonna cut hours. So you, instead of getting you know, more hours and more money per hour, you end up getting that more money, but you get less hours. And we've seen this happen over and over and over again, but it seems like nobody ever gets it. And that's, that's part of the issue that we're facing. You know, So when you have AOC and Bernie Sanders and everybody else that's up in arms about this stuff, it's, it's a horrible thing. But as that continues to happen, Biden's doing such a bad job, even with the border, that what we're gonna have is people are gonna just stop coming. So Biden may have figured out how to slow down the influx at the border. When word gets out that there aren't any jobs, that jobs are becoming few and far between in the United States, that's part of the reason I think things were really dried up at the border during the pandemic. Yeah, Trump put the lockdown at the border, but I think everybody all over the place knew, nobody's working. So what are you gonna do as an immigrant coming here if if even Americans aren't working? Surely you're likely not gonna work either or you may be willing to work for a suppressed wage, but you may not be. So this is a big deal. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. I don't think it's sustainable, but it seems every time we look at Biden, he's another one point this, two point that, trillions and trillions of dollars in spending. Now, somebody that I think loves all of this spending and loves the idea of, of a nation state is Rashida Talib. Now, Rashida Talib, I think is, um, in, in my opinion, uh, oftentimes a, a detestable person. Uh, I, her, her comments, I always find contemptible. I just, just not my cup of tea. I don't know her personally. And maybe if I met her, I'd think she's the most charming, lovely person in the world. Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to err on the side of caution and say, I just don't know. But I want you to hear what she had to say. Check this out. I mean, this is an
3: apartheid system. I mean, I mean, Israel's own prominent human rights organization, B'Tselem, has declared it. Human Rights Watch has declared it. And Palestinians on the ground have been telling us for decades uh, that they've been their homes have been demolished, that they've been targeted, that they that violence has been met by uh, israeli led forces uh, under Netanyahu's racist policies. What we're really telling Palestinians fighting apartheid is the same thing being told to my fellow black Americans across our country here and that are fighting against police brutality. There is no form of acceptable resistance to state violence, except the denial of except for the denial. Of you know people's human dignity and we need to stop we need to stop and look at the fact that our own country is enabling it with billions of dollars every year being issued to israel even though they are promoting racism and dehumanization
1: so man that was a mouthful she said a lot of things and you know on on first listen you're like man what this woman she's so passionate she is just so involved in these things. And how could the United States be involved in such a thing? And all I can think of is, look, uh, first of all, I mean, uh, I, I have not had the grand pleasure of speaking with uh, ambassadors from Palestine and from other areas, but I have spoken with people who are on the other side of this issue uh, who agree with her and have tried to make the case that, you know what, this is their land and they're being kicked out of their land and whatnot. And then I've spoken with Israelis the same way, many many military Israeli folks, um, d- diplomatic folks w- from Israel. Uh, and I've got to say, when, when you weigh the two, I always land on the side of Israel because it seems to me that they exercise serious restraint. They have a serious military. They don't launch, you know, Molotov cocktails and, and, and these homemade rockets while hiding, you know, as if they're pushing a baby carriage just to hit a few soldiers. That's what Hamas does. That's what the the Palestinian Authority people do. The Israelis are, are to not be too cliche, a very lean, mean fighting machine. And I think they could do a lot of damage in the Middle East if they really wanted to, and they don't. And that's been pointed out before. I think that they do it because they don't want to be war criminals. They want to do the right thing. They want to do what's right. But instead, we never hear about You know, unless you have a good social media following uh, that you're following. I mean, you know, like I have a couple of accounts that I follow that tweet some great stuff. For example, I saw this picture of these um, Palestinian guys that were holding one of their wounded. And they're bringing some wounded dead, actually. He was, you know, on a stretcher and they're holding him like it's a procession of a funeral. Blankets over his face and everything. And all of a sudden, the uh, air raid siren goes on. It's like... and they freak out, they drop the dead guy, they bolt in different directions, and guess what? The dead guy's not dead. He bolts too. The whole thing was staged for the media. So they could say, look, they're killing our youth. They're doing this. They, they, they play this, uh, this I'm going to call it the violin card, because they know that there's a sympathetic media to their propaganda. And this is the part that really concerns me. And again, I always say that I don't have a dog in this fight, but I'm an American and my country is allied with Israel. And that alliance typically maintains a lot of peace in the Middle East. I know that President Trump did an excellent job with the Abraham Accords, bringing peace to the Middle East, bringing more Arab countries on board. Now, again, I know I'm being repetitious, I'm preaching to the choir, this is stuff you know. But if we know all of this, and you know that Hamas hides their rocket launchers amongst schools, amongst hospitals, where there are women, where there are children, and always where there's a ton of civilians, making it very difficult for the Israelis to strike back. If we know that to be a fact, if we know that they play up their, their uh, drama card, uh, making it look like it's worse than it is, then why does this get so much attention? Well, it makes me think, why do the Democrats get so much attention here in the United States? Same reason. There are people that like propaganda, and then there are people that are involved in the creation of propaganda, and this is what they thrive on. This is part of their deal. They need to push these narratives. So that's what happens.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500 or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade.
1: And we see it in our politics and we see it internationally. There are people that want to manipulate the masses when they don't get their way or to get their way. And that's something that we have to be knowledgeable about so that we can fight back. And I don't mean just like listening to podcasts and stuff. I mean, really spend a little time, research this stuff so you can understand what's going on because, you know, this really is a, a ugly situation. And honestly, I don't I don't know that there's a fix to it. You know, I, you talk to one group of people and, and they're like, yeah, two state solution. Then you talk to another group and they go, two state, that's not even a state. They won't acknowledge Palestine. So, you know. It's this back and forth tug of war that I honestly don't see a solution to. And um, maybe one of these days we'll bring in an expert on this stuff because it's a fascinating topic to me. But my purview, the Israelis, of course, and anybody, whether you're Palestinian or Israeli, you have a right to defend yourself. What you don't have a right to do is to launch rockets. What you don't have a right to do is to, um, you don't have a right to lie to the media, to make it look like you've been attacked or provoke somebody you know, like ring and run when you were a kid. You ring the doorbell and somebody comes, hey, hey, what's going on? I mean, this is in effect what they're doing. They poke the bear, they run away, and then when the bear comes looking to retaliate, the bear's the bad guy. You know, I, I don't think we can call Israel the bad guy on this one. Anyway, keep it locked right there. Straight ahead, more to come. I'm Rich Valdez, this is America. This is America. He's making
0: podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, like always, I want to thank you for the reviews that you guys put on Apple Podcasts and whatever your podcast app is. Really appreciate it. It means a lot. And of course, for sharing this, you know, the uh, suppression online is so real when you've got a message that they don't like, whether it's Instagram, whether it's um, Facebook or Twitter and Parler keeps just getting attacked with their whole uh, infrastructure, not being on the app store and and updates that are needed, that it's difficult to get this message out. So I rely on you guys, people that are listening, like my guy out in Texas, Paul, what's up? Shout out to Paul. People like that, that I know when they get this, they're sharing it with five, six, ten of their friends sometimes because they want to get this message out. So I thank you, the Patriots. I'm very fortunate to have an audience like I do. I thank God and I thank you. Now, what I want to talk about now, is a little bit about what's going on with uh, AOC, AOC uh, all out crazy, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. Now, you know, what's interesting about AOC is that she's always angry at somebody. She's always if she wasn't whining, I don't know what she would do. But right now she's angry at Andrew Yang because he said something like, you know, Israel should be able to defend themselves. And maybe we'll touch on that. But she's also very, very upset with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, with herself. No, I'm kidding. She's actually uh, very upset with Joe Biden. That's Joe El Baboso Biden. And the reason she's mad with Joe Break the Bank Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, uh, when he's not breaking the bank, is because of Israel again. Now, AOC is slamming Biden for his Israeli support and taking the side of the occupation. Uh, Representative Cortez is hitting President Biden over his comments, and she says that the IDF responding to Palestinian militants showering rockets over Israeli cities, this is not good, and Biden should not be uh, saying that it's okay for them to defend themselves. Now, her remarks on Twitter responding to uh, President Biden saying that Israel has the right to defend itself when you have thousands of rockets flying into your territory that was Biden making this comment. She says, I had a, uh, or Biden says, excuse me, I had a conversation with Bibi Netanyahu not so long ago. My expectation and hope is that this will be closing down sooner rather than later, but Israel has a right to defend itself against thousands of rockets flying into your territory. He didn't even say your country. I mean, that's that's how, uh, how closely he toes the line. Such a coward. Anyway, and uh, now AOC goes in and she says, blanket statements like these with little context or acknowledgement of what uh, precipitated this cycle of violence, namely the explosions, excuse me, the expulsions of Palestinians and attacks on Al-Aqsa. Dehumanize Palestinians and imply the U.S. will look the other way at human rights violations. Now, we heard earlier uh, her sister in crime, uh, Representative Talib. Uh, say something similar. The U.S. turns a blind eye and is allowing this to happen. So my question here is, why is this the new progressive talking point? And and this even happened to me once. And I've probably mentioned this because I was really taken aback by a friend of mine, Dominican. He was a barber years ago. Uh, he works in retail now, and he's a heck of a guy. Good guy. Good dad. Just an overall uh, all-around good guy who used to be, you know, like a, a very open-minded, politically uh, oriented person. But one day we were talking about something Trump did, and it was economic for sure. And he comes in, and he goes, "Yeah, but what about you know the way they treat Palestine?" And I thought to myself, "What about what about the way they treat Palestine? <laughs> like where's that coming from? You know, like even in this situation, you know, AOC represents the Bronx and Queens, and I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, Palestinians there. But the the question becomes, um, why this pushback on Biden for saying that Israel, an ally of the United States, has a right to defend itself, and she's always taking the side of palestine she's always pushing the boycott divest sanctions bds movement so she goes on in another tweet in this follow-up she says that hamas's behavior was condemnable okay she condemns hamas's behavior by only stepping in to name hamas's actions which are condemnable and refusing to acknowledge the rights of palestinians Biden reinforces the false idea that Palestinians instigated this cycle of violence. This is not neutral language. It takes a side, the side of the occupation. Now, her language, I'm going to suggest, is not neutral language, Congresswoman, because you are suggesting that the Israelis who uh, occupy, in your words, not mine, but have reclaimed their ancestral land, are doing it by way of some sort of military occupation which may be the opinion of the Palestinians, but as far as the um, Balfour Declaration or Balfour Accords, I forget how it's appropriately named, this is land that was agreed upon and given back to them. So I can only go by that. That's on paper. That's a real part of history. 1947, the creation of of the Jewish state. Where is AOC coming from with this stuff? So I don't know. I'm really confused here. This is where I wish she would actually, you know, call in or join me on the show. Um, We tried that once. I even tried to ask her in person. You guys know how that went. She bolted across the street. I I don't know what to do here, but I would love to know why she's okay to use the not um, neutral language, but Biden somehow is using unneutral language, and this is very bad. Anyway, those are just some of my musings on that. But what I want to talk about right now is Liz Cheney. Now, everybody's talking about Liz Cheney. Obviously, now she has been ousted. McCarthy had the vote. They took a vote. She's out of the Republican leadership. She's no longer Republican conference chair. Farewell, arrivederci, Liz Cheney. And full disclosure, I've talked to Liz Cheney on the phone a few times. I think she's very charming. I thought she was a very nice person. I look at her voting record, and it's something that uh, I, I agree with most of the time. I don't think she's a bad person. I just think she... Views things differently than me, and perhaps differently than you, on on certain issues. And I think if I were in her position, and I had this um, conscientious objection where I felt like I needed to vote to impeach Trump, the first thing I would do is say, you know, Mister Leader McCarthy, I am resigning my post as a uh, as a member of the Republican leadership of of this body because I am going to vote as a representative. And I'm going to vote against the interests of the Republican Party. And she should have done that. And I think a lot more people would have had respect for that. Uh, But instead, that wasn't the case. She decided to say, you know, I am going to be a leader. And, you know, I, I think of a sports analogy, which is rare for me, honestly. But I think of a sports analogy. And the one that comes to mind is kicking a ball into the goal of the other team. And that's what she did when she cast the vote. Now, listen, if you want to do that as a congressperson, go right ahead. But when you're part of the leadership of the Republican establishment, this is a partisan job. You're not just there to be some sort of impartial, independent um, arbiter of all things true and holy. Nobody elected you to be a priest when they elected you to be Republican conference chair. It's a party leadership position. So you're talking about partisan politics. So Liz Cheney, no, you, you don't get to be part of the Republican leadership. And then go and vote against the Republican leadership's best interest against a Republican president. And, you know, it's interesting that so many people are saying, wow, it's a sad day in America. I can't believe that's happening. I'm thinking, what coach would not bench a player for scoring a goal for the other team? Of course they would. And it it would make all the sense in the world, just like this made all the sense in the world. Now, if her constituents in Wyoming decide to say, you know what, we applaud Liz Cheney's courage and her conviction and her character for telling the truth, and because the truth is what was needed, we're going to support her, and she's going to be reelected overwhelmingly. I got news for you. I think you're wrong if you think that. I think Liz Cheney is going to get uh, tossed out of office uh, really hardcore. I don't think there's a shot. At all, she doesn't have a prayer of winning in in Wyoming. If I'm wrong, I'll say I was wrong. But I've talked to a few hundred people at this point in uh, Wyoming. Not a single one has told me anything other than what they've all told me. Liz Cheney's out. We hate her guts. You know, Wyoming is one of the reddest states in America. It's a little state. It's a very rural state. And she, she made a very bad move. Uh, politically, I think this was political suicide for her. So those are my thoughts and predictions on Geddes Cheney. But she says that she's coming back with a vengeance. So um, I want you to hear what she had to say following her ouster. Check this out.
4: We uh, uh, have had the the conference meeting. Uh, I uh, am absolutely committed, as I said last night, uh, and as I said just now to my colleagues, uh, that we must go forward uh, based on truth. We cannot both uh, embrace the big lie and embrace the Constitution. And going forward, uh, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. Uh, the nation needs a party that uh, that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. And I am committed and dedicated to ensuring uh, that that's how this party goes forward and I plan to lead the fight to do that.
3: Congressman, how concerned are you that the former President Trump might
4: end up back in the Oval Office? And what are you prepared to do for that? Uh, I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, We have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. Uh, And I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution.
1: So the problem that exists here, and, and it's, a, it's a fundamental one, and, and honestly, it's one that really has never really bothered me. I do appreciate the idea of a big tent. I don't hate the United States Chamber of Commerce, and I don't consider myself a rhino. I'll stand against whatever I want to stand against, and I think I stand up for conservative principles. I think that a smaller government is better. I don't like the idea of corporatism i don't like the idea of how corporatists in our government have the power that they have so uh, i'm not a country club republican i'm really not I, I don't have a country club membership but i can say i don't think we should eject every last one of them i don't think we need to create an army of of you know of constitutionalists i would love to see that happen but i just i believe in heterodoxy i think that if you have a different opinion it's okay for you to have it And for you to still stand shoulder to shoulder with me in loving America and moving forward. Now, if there's a fundamental difference of of opinion, I'm still not going to hate you because, you know, my job is not to, I don't hate AOC. I disagree vehemently with AOC. I don't hate her guts. I really don't. I, I just, that's not the cloth I'm cut from. I believe that politics is something that there is part of the public discourse and the body politic must engage in that discourse. And we talk about it and we argue it and we go and we try to convince more people of our position and we do it again and again and again and again. And whoever does it better has more power because they have more influence. And that's literally how politics is defined. This is not blood sport, although it can be at times, but it's not. So my point here is Liz Cheney's uh, terrific. She's now vowed to go against Trump. So I'm going to vow to go against her because I think Trump's the best thing that America has going right now. He's the best shot. And the reason why, it's not because he's Trump, and it's not because I'm part of a cult or I'm sold out or anything like that. It's because I don't like establishments. That's really it. I don't like the idea. Um, Some decorum is fantastic. But I like the idea that Trump can get raw. And anybody else, it doesn't have to be Trump. It could be Chris Christie. And again, I know a lot of people don't like Chris Christie. Uh, And I'm not saying that... uh, uh, him specifically. But when Chris Christie takes on the media, you know, when someone in the media is asking him a question and he's like, I think you should mind your business. I love it. I'm sitting there. I'm I'm doing a, a standing ovation because that's what we have to do. We have to take on the media. We have to take on our adversaries. And it's no longer, oh, push, 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 punch me in the face one more time. Now it's like, I'm watching you. And if I even see you try to cock a fist, I'm going to catch you in the throat. And that's it. We have to be on. And I'm not advocating violence. I don't want anybody to take that clip and go, here's Valdez saying to catch him in the throat. These are all figurative metaphors I'm talking about. You yeah, know, I'm talking about verbal sparring because that's what it's about. So Trump has popularized this. Trump is he created, wrong, your fake news. I love it. He took on the media. He took on the establishment. He takes on, oh uh, Mitch, you know, he takes on everybody. and And that's what we need. We need a fighter who's willing to take things on, who's not afraid. To to say, no, I think you're wrong. And you know, here's why. You don't have to deliver it like Trump does, but you have to deliver it. Look at Ron DeSantis. He doesn't say, wrong, you're you're fake news. He says, you know, no, that's fake news. And he, he does a really good job of it. He's a very eloquent speaker. So that's my point. Those are the leaders that we need. And we need to find those leaders, identify those leaders, start to emulate those leaders, take some of what's in their repertoire and add it to ours so that we can continue to move forward, pushing back. Against it and literally pushing back on agendas. So, you know, not playing defense where I'm just there blocking every punch that comes my way, but that I'm advancing my step, my position. I'm taking a step forward each and every time, moving my agenda forward. Because if we don't do that, we're screwed. And that's what I'm talking about. And to me, that's what's at stake here. There are a lot of people that just didn't want to rock the boat because they had too much to lose. I say, what are you willing to lose? Because when you're not a corporatist, when you're not an establishment Republican that makes a living in Washington off of the government, guess what? That makes you a regular American like me. And I don't care if you vote me out of office because I'm not in office. So I'm going to talk all the crap I want till my heart is content. And that's, that's what the beauty of this medium. But also it's, it's the beauty of Trump who said the same thing. He did the same thing. So I think the, the allure that we have with Trump versus the establishment people that are focused on decorum and keeping their ties straight and, you know, making sure they don't use uh, any foul language, it, it, the, um, this focus on decorum is fake. It's phony. It's fraud. It, it's a, a false decorum because it's a grimy business and the business needs to be called out and we need to be better at it. And that's the point. So when Liz Cheney says that she's going to make sure that Trump doesn't get near the White House, I'm thinking if you don't like what Trump stands for, then try to present an alternative. But guess what? If, if you really come against him for all the things that everybody actually likes, like being an outspoken, ballsy leader, then guess what, Liz? You're going to be on. You're going to be on the outs. You're going to be in the minority here, and, and that's what I think we see happening. So she may join. She may become the next Lincoln Project. And it may cause some damage. There may be there will there may be an attraction for those people that say, you know what, I really love the idea that we're going to have a a a Republican president that doesn't tweet. You know, maybe we can get Mitt Romney. Listen, the last thing we need is Mitt Romney. You know, uh, I I couldn't even bring myself to vote for Mitt Romney. I mean, I think he was just not just a flawed candidate. He's just not good. He's such a milk toast, such a uh, wishy-washy politician. He's just that guy. And you know, there's some politicians that are wishy-washy, like Liz Cheney that you know she she's been a uh, a Washington Republican for a long time and then was uh, really kind of evolving, making inroads, trying to gain the confidence of conservatives and voting that way. And kudos to her for trying. But at the end, she showed her hand. And she went against Trump because she thought that Trump saying peaceably and patriotically marching over to the Capitol was an incitement of violence. And I respect that. I do. I respect you know her opinion. I'm not going to say she's an idiot because she disagrees with me. I'm not going to say that because I don't want her to say that I'm an idiot for disagreeing with her. But I will say, I think she's wrong. I think she's wrong. And that's the bottom line to me. She's wrong. And now she's out. So it's our job to make sure that we follow the lead here and that McCarthy makes sure he gets the right person in there because everybody wants to be in there, because why not? More power is a great thing in Washington for those guys. We just gotta make sure we get the right person in there so that they're gonna be out there outspoken in front of the cameras, making sure they, they keep the rest of the ranks in line to have a solid party, a solid party line. Otherwise, we're all screwed. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. Thank you, America, for listening yet again. And I always tell you, just like I'm telling uh, the Republican Party, I'm telling you the same thing. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And of course, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So don't do nothing. Take action, because the time is now. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America.